Happy Monday, friends, family, maybe family, my dad could be listening, it's possible. Uh, welcome back to the good old Lions of Liberty podcast, and uh, as I've mentioned a few times now, I recently made a nice little trip across the country, across the southern U.S., got to see a lot of people along the way, including my friend Buck Johnson, a guy who I've gotten to know pretty well over uh, the last couple of years, particularly in the, in the last year or so. We hung out several times uh, in um, in his home of Lockhart, Texas, which we'll hear more about today, as well as in Sayulita, Mexico, back in December. And when I was passing through Buck's area of Texas, he and his wife were kind enough to invite me to their home, uh, let me stay there for the night. And uh, as these things often happen, we ended up having a very late night, very long conversation that, of course, went in many different directions. But one thing we did talk a lot about were a lot of the changes that Buck has undergone in the last couple of years, uh, politically, spiritually, philosophically. Uh, we'll get into sort of all of those things in this interview. But, you know, that night I said, man, this is a really great conversation. If only this was a podcast. But lo and behold, we have the ability to make it a podcast. So that is exactly what we did. And I'm very excited now to be speaking to the host of the Counterflow podcast. Buck Johnson. Buck, are you ready to roar? I am. Yeah, let's let's do this. I'm excited to be here. And I'm glad we're in the same time zone. It makes everything easier. Yes. Oddly enough, even though I'm far on the east coast of Mexico, uh, the part of I, I kinda I do respect it actually. The part of Mexico I'm in just doesn't change times. They just don't yeah. do that. So you know. It did cause some confusion when the time first changed, and I didn't know that wasn't going to happen. So I was like, wait, why am I at this time? And then other people are in this time. And I'm on the because e- I'm still classified as Eastern time, but I'm Eastern time Quintana Roo, <laughs> which is oh, the same yeah. as U.S. Central time. So it can oh. be very confusing to try to plan things. So, yeah, yeah. But here we are. We have done it. And, uh, you know, before before this interview, I decided to do a little tick back. And I, I listened to when I had you on Lions uh, last back in February of 2021. And I actually said, I mentioned being on lockdown currently at that point in time in February of 2021. Uh, so I, I just maybe you can tick back the clock just a little bit. We, we talked about kind of your your origin story, so to speak, your Liberty origin story in that episode. That's Lions of Liberty 497, if anyone wants to go check that out. But maybe you can just take us a little more through the last two years, more specifically, um, and what you experienced in and just outside of Austin, Texas, uh, you can talk about your move maybe in there too, uh, compared to what people like myself, let's say in LA, were going through. Wow, that's the last time I was on, 2021 February. Yeah. It, it feels like a whole different world. <laughs> well, it is. Um, yeah, it is. In Texas, we were locked down in 2020 for six weeks, I think, basically something like that. Um, at the time, of course, it seemed like it was a long time. Now looking back, that seems like just a just a short short little stint there because like yourself uh, in California and a lot of our friends elsewhere uh, were locked down for a longer time. That's crazy. You were locked down in 2021? Apparently, yeah. In February of 2021. They had pretty much rolling lockdowns of some variety for until at least I think July of 2021, if you can believe that. That is nuts. Um, I, I've refrained a few times from tweeting something along the lines of, Actually, you might have said it. I retweeted at some point, but I've been thinking, yeah, I've been saying this stuff. <laughs> if you still live in a state that does things like that, um, at some point you're kind of voting for it. And, and I know, it, it, you know, we we diss on voting on on what it actually means or if it's effective. But living somewhere, voting with your feet really is effective, I think. And uh, I was reading something from a friend, a, an acquaintance of mine, that I, I go to his page when I want to get kind of the the blue pill boomer leftist take of the day. <laughs> and he said something along the lines of just move away if you don't like the politics is such an elitist chicken shit thing to say. And it's not effective, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this person is like in his about 50 and never really done, had a career of any sort. So he's kind of broke all the time. I bet if that guy ever talked to a libertarian, he probably might have brought up maybe moving to Somalia, though. It's it's possible. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're, he is the type that would say something like that. <laughs> And uh, I found it funny, and, and I was telling Brittany, my wife, about that, and, and she immediately goes, well, he should talk to Mark Claire. That's, you know, he, he did it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I've refrained from tweeting something along those lines that if you, if you live in a place like that, still you're basically approving of what's going on, because it feels kind of like my old libertarian self throwing something at someone that doesn't seem uh, particularly empathetic, but you did it. And so that's, I was, 
your story is fascinating, uh, inspiring, and very cool. And uh, so, yeah, back in, I, and I did it essentially because Austin is obviously a blue hellhole within a red state. And at some point over 2020, we just said, we can't be here anymore. This is a disaster. And we moved to a nice little peaceful, happy small town in Lockhart, Texas, here 30 minutes southeast of Austin. Like right out of a movie, I think I said to you when I was there. I mean, it was like, it felt like the nicest small town you could ever be in, which is really crazy and interesting. I think how, how different a culture can be so close to like, say a blue city. I mean, it's maybe 15, 20 minutes outside of Austin and it's like, you're in a totally different world. It is. And there's even, you know, people probably listening or watching picture a Texas small town and you think of horses and, and, you know, guys in cowboy hats and everything. And it looks like when you said out of a movie, I picture like the back to the future, like yeah. the town square area. That's kind of what it looks like to me. And there are people here that look like me. If people are watching, you know, covered with tattoos and, and some that like an old school redneck might look at and go, Oh, where are you from? Kind of thing. But <laughs> even, and, and at first when you see hipsters and stuff, I get worried like, Oh, great. They're bringing that kind of blue, city mentality to this small town. But I will have to say, uh, people that I've been skeptical of uh, in person here in Lockhart, where I kind of had this prejudice, oh, they're a you know a leftist or whatever. Many times, I don't know if they are or not. Once we start talking, everyone here is so friendly. Uh, I've got the local bar I go to, and it's the kind of thing where I can go on a Sunday afternoon and people introduce themselves. People will buy rounds of shots for everyone at the bar. And you just start talking and interacting in such a friendly community. And it's really kind of exactly what we were hoping to get here. And again, some of the people, I don't know their politics. I can kind of guess on some of them, but it's not what they lead with. They lead with friendliness and aren't you glad to be in this town? Aren't you glad to be out of where you came from kind of thing? And it's, it's super nice. And uh, it's not like the mask thing doesn't happen here. Sometimes in the grocery stores, and it's interesting. I think I spoke with you about this when you were here, because uh, you said even the culture in Mexico uh, was masky, if the oh, rules, yeah. even if the rules didn't dictate that they be. And a lot of the Hispanic people here are masky, and I don't know what kind of cultural thing that entails. I don't. I don't get it. But what uh, an interesting argument for building building the wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Keep the masks out. I mean to ask our friend Carlos this, and I've not yet, but why it seems like, and again, this is just from my outsider perspective, the Hispanic culture seems more masky than non-Hispanics, and I don't understand that. I mean, yeah, just to, to extrapolate on that, like from my, my, I wouldn't say small sample size. I mean, it's a large number of people sample size, but small in the sense I'm just talking about one country, but I've been in many different parts of Mexico, uh, you know, since I've been here. And I mean, at, at best, I, I think in the, in the best case scenario, which is like right now, cause they actually have re finally relaxed some of the rules here at, that gets you like to 30 to 40% masking when there's, when they've removed all the rules whatsoever. Even when I was in Mexico city, there was no outdoor mask mandate of any kind. Like a lot of the grocery stores and the buildings were supposed to be masked, but you went outside and nearly everyone was masked. And I'm not really sure what it is because, uh, you know, my, my wife certainly wasn't like that, but most of her family was too. And, and but it's a different kind of masking. It's it's more like it's not the the violent ma like people will not be screaming at you for not wearing a mask. Right. Um, it, but it's more like I think it's I think it's something to do with maybe not maybe not as much superstition as it is respect for for other like thinking that other people want you to do it and thinking it's the respectful thing to do and just going along to get along that's kind of like like mexicans are, are an interesting sort of breed because they are very skeptical of their government they pretty much it's just blatantly known that the government is corrupt and that's what it is but there's also like a very much a let's just go along to get by and, and worry about our own lives and whatever we got to do it's no big deal yeah it's interesting funny that you said you don't think it's a superstitious thing that was kind of what i mentally jump to like maybe that's what it is i, I mean it all is on some level uh, yeah that's fair yeah the good point broadly it of course it is um but yeah i don't get it but uh i i suppose um i should end up saying i love it here in lockhart and the the transition from austin to lockhart was very wise move and i if there's people listening that are kind of holding on to some kind of last string of of well i'm in a I just love the city for this, 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 the rest of it's just a blue hellhole, but I need X, Y, Z. If you can get away, I certainly would advise to do so. Uh, it, it was the, one of the best things I ever did in my life. I can definitely say that for, for certain. 
And so, yeah, I would advise people to do that if it's possible at all. And it's probably more possible than you realize. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely city things I like to do in general, and um, there are things I liked about LA in that aspect, but you can't drive 20 minutes out of LA and find a nice little red, you know, a little red Southern type town. That's just not a possibility. But it's interesting what you mentioned there. Like you don't even necessarily know some of the people's politics, but you just know that they're nice and friendly. And, you know, I took, uh, when I stayed at your house, I was in the middle of a road trip from LA to, uh, to Tampa. So I drove all through the Southern U S and it just, I think it came from maybe so long living in Los Angeles, so long living in that bubble that I I actually forgot what real people were like who are not talking about their politics immediately all the time and are not just like wearing it on their sleeve. And it's just a different kind of comfort where maybe we probably do have disagreements on how things should be in the government or or what have you. But that's not really what's important because what's, you know, being a a good person and being polite and having that hospitality is is a much higher level, um, you know, of, of priority than, you know, proving proving the worth of your politics. Yes. And, and well, I assume we're going to discuss this at some point, but if I run for city council here, one of my, uh, not phrases, but kind of themes I was thinking about is keep your politics out of Lockhart Mm -hmm. because I don't want them here. And I don't mean specifically people I disagree with, but just that attitude of I I lead with my politics is not Mm -hmm. something that fits in well here, luckily, (laughs) so far. When when exactly did you move to Lockhart? Was it right in the middle of of COVID or was it? It was October, 2020. We started looking at about uh, the summer of 2020, early June or so. And it took until October to, to get this place. So was, was the COVID stuff sort of a last straw of something you were already kind of considering? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, a lot of the, the attitude of the people that we knew in Austin was, uh, throughout that time, it was awful. And, and so many acquaintances and, you know, come from the music world, so many musicians and, and, and types like that subculture types that my wife and I were uh, close with, you started to see this ugliness and this, you know, the stuff that we all saw from, from progressives throughout 2020 was the demand that you take this, the demand that you do this, the demand that you wear this. It was always, uh, they led with hate all of the time. It was wear the damn mask. Like they're demanding that you do something, stay the fuck home that all these Mm -hmm. phrases that were so hateful. Uh, it was, Austin was filled with that. And, uh, my wife was basically, I I was ready to move out of Austin a couple of years ago. (laughs) It's been a couple of years, but a couple of years prior to the move. Yeah. And finally she, that was the last straw for her. She just said, these, she owns a salon in Austin and she said, I can't believe we know so many people that don't want me to make a living. And it was just, it kind of hit her. And so once, of course, the wife is ready to go, then, then, then it happens. Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how your overall view, I'm sure it had been starting to shift even when we spoke back in February 21, but I think it was in May of 2021 that you had me on your show because you had noticed a shift in in the way I was talking about things and the way I was filtering things. And um, not coincidentally, that's around the same time because um, I know I was in the same house in Mexico when I did the debate between Tho uh, and Dave. And mm-hmm. I started to... Th- that's I got in trouble for saying this the other day that you know they, people accuse me or, or like th- this is me saying vote GOP when I said that I you know Breaky and though I found to be a little more persuasive but less about their what they were they were doing politically and more about the futility of a certain path and of not of not taking sort of a of trying to stay out of this right left conversation so I'm curious how your views have changed um, in terms of your view of right and left I think when um, I think it was when Thaddeus might have interviewed you that you describe yourself kind of like as like a right-wing libertarian Mm -hmm. Uh, so when how did that go for you because i'm sure there was a point where you were like i was at one point where i you were saying you know libertarian is neither right nor left and we're the third rail or whatever whatever other nonsense like that so when when did that start to shift for you and how how has your view changed on how you would sort of classify your own politics that's a good question when did that shift for me i i I suspect it was sometime in Gosh, I suspect maybe just before 2020, you know, I should, and I, th- I'm, I cringe doing this and I know you do for your own uh, uh, content sometimes as well. I should go back and start to listen to some of my early episodes and see when 
I can uh, if I can find the change. It's a mind. It's a mind fuck to go, to go back and hear your own progression sometimes. Gosh, yeah. Uh, Caleb uh, on, on Twitter uh, retweeted a episode of mine with Paul Gottfried the other day, and I, I hesitated to even retweet it, but I did, and I didn't listen to it. Uh, I just I love Paul Gottfried, so I know that his content was good, and I just thought I can't. I don't want to know what I sounded like back then and what kind of questions I was asking someone like Paul Gottfried. But I think instinctively, probably in my mid-30s, I and then prior to my 20s, I was kind of a right-leaning libertarian anyway. You know, when I my first foray, uh, how do you say that word, foray? Foray? Into, foray. Into politics uh, when I was a teenager was the, the infamous League of the South that Tom Woods was associated Ooh. with. People still diss on him for that, and and so I certainly think that Buck was Buck really did found it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and so I understand that light went out behind me. I understand when the ghost of the uh, the ghost of Robert E. Lee was. Did you see that right when we bring this subject up? Uh, so I understand. I understand when when Tom defends himself against these ridiculous attacks because I was in it back then and it was not a racist organization at all. It was talking about states' rights and secession stuff that I still talk about to this day. So I would say that early on. And then in my 20s, once I moved to Austin and, you know, you find when you're in your 20s and you have a good career and a lot of time off and you're a musician and you tour and things like this, uh, some outside influences creep in and you start to be interested in other things uh, than strictly politics. Uh, so while I was a libertarian back then, of course, as we all know, with people with uh, outlets like Reason, it's easier to be accepted by popular culture and, and the people around you if you use the, I'm neither left nor right. I'm, you know, I'm a libertarian. That means we want legal drugs and legal sex work and all of these kind of things. Especially if you're, you know, in, in a little bit more of a degenerate phrase of your life, phase of your life. So you're kind of hanging out with people that, you know, that element of the pitch appeals to a lot more uh yeah you're precisely and i was interested in in more degenerate aspects of of the culture and so naturally i i was always a libertarian so i used that that aspect of it to to at least so people wouldn't hate me um and then in my 30s i started leaning back the other way again and i've always loved lou rockwell and the mises institute and jeff deist and and Paul Gottfried. And so that was always, I felt, the, the right uh, direction for libertarianism, uh, li literally and figuratively. And so, and Hans Hermann Hoppe and that kind of thing. So I think once I was probably, I would guess around a year into my podcast, it's just a guess, I'd have to go back and look, I started uh, embracing that part of my, my instinct and my personality more so. And then definitely over COVID, the the futility of libertarians pretending to be this middle ground that's safe for all sides to jump onto uh, was just not working. If you're if you're trying to do it for a to gain friends, to gain momentum, to gain political momentum, to gain votes, it just doesn't work. And obviously, the COVID moment separated people into different camps, and there is a lot of people that are uh, in the libertarian party trying to provide this atmosphere in this camp that is not effective and so i at some point i think i stopped calling myself a libertarian through 2020 certainly by 2021 and some of it was you know i i was uh, close with thaddeus russell and and he had talked to me saying don't brand yourself politically with a word like libertarian because it it pigeonholes you and it puts a glass ceiling on what you're doing. So, so some of it worked out business-wise, if you want to say that for the podcast. I didn't want to be uh, pigeonholed with that term. And then as, as time went on, uh, I just didn't feel comfortable branding myself with a political label at all, really. And certainly that one, uh, libertarian, I wasn't comfortable with. Would you not even say right-wing libertarian then at this point? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, that, that's probably like a six. I think that was, I'm just going to guess six or seven months ago that I, I remember hearing you say that. So that's interesting. Yeah. If, if someone like, you know, the old gun to the head, just say what you are. That I suppose <laughs> could work. Um, but I'm just not comfortable using a political label at all really anymore because with political labels, it always gives your opponent. And, and if you're going to 
debate someone or discuss politics with someone, the moment you give yourself the political label, then they automatically have some preconceived notion of where you're coming from. And even if you're trying to get a point across, you got to play defense. You got to defend yourself against this, this term the whole time. Correct. And they have this, uh, this palette that they're going to color, color you with. And no matter what you say, if it goes against anything of this preconceived notion, it's not going to fit into this mental image that they've got once you say something like that. And so that's why I, I, I would advise people to, to kind of ditch some of these political labels because it, it allows people to put you into a camp that you might not necessarily be in. I don't have a lot in common with Nick Gillespie and Matt Welch and, and, and people like that at Reason Magazine. So if someone thinks of those guys uh, as libertarians, I, and then they look at me and if I say I'm one as well, I, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't want to be associated with that, right? How do you rectify that idea of you know not having the label with sort of identifying more with the right than the left? Because that is, in, in a sense, sort of also putting yourself in, in a camp of sorts, or maybe that's just a much more broader camp. Or, or would you even try to avoid that in, say, a normal conversation? I would try to avoid that in a normal conversation. I would let uh, the way I live, the way I discuss uh, politics or philosophy or religion, I would let that dictate to someone else if they want to put me in a camp they can do that from the things i say do uh etc all right well philosophy politics religion maybe, maybe we can talk about about a few of those things and and how they've sort of uh intersected with the direction that your life has gone uh since moving to lockhart now you mentioned the city council thing let's put that on the back burner for a minute we'll, we'll leave that for the end but i want to dig more into Something that's interestingly come up with a number of people who I do resonate with, not because of this, but coincidences are interesting. But I, you have over the last year or so become an Orthodox Christian. So maybe you could walk me through how, how that kind of played out. We, we talked about this over a number of beverages at your place <laughs> in Lockhart, but um, maybe we can get the little a slightly more sober version, <laughs> perhaps. And, and But I, maybe you could first just go back and describe what your your history with re religion was before that? Were you religious growing up at all? And how did that kind of change as you veered into uh, the degenerate parts of your adulthood? Mm -hmm. That's important. The background's important, I think, uh, to to help uh, paint this journey that I've been on. I hate that word journey, but it is effective and I use it a lot. So I grew up going to a mega church and it's, it's a guy that's fairly well known. I know uh, the, the name John Hagee. A lot of people know that name. He's in San Antonio Cornerstone uh, Church. It was non-denominational, Protestant, evangelical. And I liked it even when, I'm a, when I was a teenager and I was kind of into subcultures and rebellious um, uh, lifestyles, if you will, punk rock and whatnot. But it's still, you know, it, it, <laughs> I was involved in things that w you wouldn't think someone would like to go to a church. Uh, but I did. I, I always liked John Hagen. He's very emotional. It was literally a Bible thumper. He would scream all the time and hit his Bible. And for a mega church, it was interesting because I still, I saw speaking in tongues in that church uh, many times and things you wouldn't necessarily think about. What is the speaking in tongues thing really? Like I've seen some videos of it, but like, what is it? What is it supposed to be? What are you supposed to think is happening? And I, I'm just, I guess I'm just curious what you think is happening, if anything, or is it just kind of, or do you think that's kind of like a show? I don't, I'm not qualified to speak on what technically is happening. I do know what they said was happening because I saw it so many times. What the story was that I was told is that someone, the person speaking in the tongues gets a spiritual possession of sorts and it's supposed to be from God. And they do their thing, and it is interesting to hear. If 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 no one's ever heard it, maybe look up on YouTube. I, I assume these aren't real words, right? Or not words we we can know as humans, right? They're just it's just like. But as the story goes, someone can, and that person in my church was Pastor John Hagee. So he would this person would just belt out all this crazy stuff that was speaking in tongues. It would last about a minute or, or thirty seconds to a minute. And then Pastor Hagee would translate what that person was saying to the rest of us. You know, um, again, I'm not qualified to say exactly what was really He's going on. the universal translator. I'll let people judge for themselves what they think that, that entails. Uh, so, yeah, I went to that church. And then in my 20s, I, living in Austin, I didn't go to any church. In fact, 
through libertarianism, I would say, through through left libertarianism, I became a an atheist, and I would read atheist writings. Uh, Pendulet certainly, um, maybe some of the stuff he was saying directed me towards that kind of thing. He's obviously a famous devout atheist. <laughs> devout atheist sounds yeah. funny. I mean, it's true though. It, I mean, he is a devout atheist. He is a uh, like the equivalent of a, an atheist Bible thumper. He's pumping yeah. thumping the atheist Bible. As was Bill, as is Bill Maher. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, in the last six months, I Bill Maher defended religious people for the first time I've ever heard him do so. We've really come full circle. <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, anyway, so people like that, I, w- I would read atheist writings, listen to atheist people, and I was all in on that. And then uh, 2020 hit, and you start looking around and thinking, hmm, maybe there are evil spirits, you know, and if there's evil ones, there must be good ones. And so as I was doing the show, I would interview people like Vin Armani, uh, Cyprian, and our friend Matt Erickson, and and the term Orthodox Christianity would come up, um, you know, here and there, and certainly with those guys. And it started, I just started getting curious, like, I wonder what that is. And it's in my nature, everything I do, not everything, but many things I do in life, I, I look for like the pure root of where it started. Um, musically, I, I like, you know, when I got into rock and roll, I want to go back to Elvis Presley and Bill Haley and where rock and roll actually started and then the blues artists before them and how it developed into what it is and what it started as. Uh, you know, you and I love wrestling uh, and, and as as you have, I'm sure I I would go back and watch like the early days of wrestling and why oh, yeah. it became what it is today. And and I'd always go back to the root of things. And politically, you know, when uh, as a right wing conservative, libertarian, whatever you want to call it, I didn't want to vote for Mitt Romney and Mitt Romney didn't inspire me or I didn't like look into the past of John McCain and where he gets his ideas from. I know where he got his ideas from. Uh, but I looked into Ron Paul because he was like the pure version of what I was getting into. And so I thought, well, I'm interested in Christianity again. Uh, I see that there's clearly things that are not just politics at play here in 2020 and 2021. I felt that there was actual evil, uh, real dark evil spirits at work. And so I wanted to get into Christianity or at least look into it. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who was a Christian kind of would would tell me that you should look into church and whatnot. And I was kind of hesitant at first, but finally I was at least pointed in the right direction as far as looking. And then again, Vin Armani was on the show and, and, and Matt Erickson, and they started talking about orthodoxy. And so I thought, what is this all about? And, and then I start to research a little bit and you discover, so this is the original church. Like, and it was just, again, in my nature to go back and find the pure original version of something that you're interested in. And that's what orthodoxy was uh, for, the, for Christianity uh, since 33 AD. So uh, after one of my interviews with Vin, I, I think off air we were talking and I asked him, uh, maybe it could have been on air, I can't remember. I asked him about a book or two to, to help me with orthodox Christianity. And other than the Bible, of course, he said, uh, it's a book that I actually lent you. It's a Seraphim yeah. Ripple's book called God's Revelation to the Human Heart. And so I ordered it immediately from Amazon and got that. And as I'm reading, it was amazing, by the way, if anyone out there is interested in something like Orthodox Christianity, it's a very short book. It's like a lot of you listeners, I understand that you'll know Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard. It's very much like that. It's just almost a pamphlet. It was really a book that it's a speech that Seraphim Rose gave. I highly recommend it, God's Revelation of the Human Heart. So I got that, and then I got the book uh, Nihilism by Seraphim Rose as well, which really spoke to me. It's amazing. I also highly recommend that book. And as I'm kind of discovering these things, uh, our mutual friend Bobby, who does my ads for me, says, you know there's an Orthodox church in Lockhart, right? I could not believe that. I couldn't believe, because let's, obviously, Orthodox Christianity is not the most widespread version of Christianity out there, certainly in Texas. And sure enough, there's an Orthodox church five minutes from my house. I could not believe it. And I would drive by, it's it's in an alley. So I would drive through this alley and look at it like at least two to three times a week. And I'd just sit there and look at the door and I would think, no, I can't go in. 
because I thought it's such an ancient, um, beautiful tradition. I didn't want to bring my my idiocy in there and, and disrespecting the traditions that they have or anything like that. Little did I know you can just come in and, and be yourself. I didn't know that at the time. And so I would just stare at it. And one day, I, this is another strange, crazy coincidence. Someone who followed me on Twitter and I think listened to my show, certainly listened to Pete's show, um, reached out to me and said, Hey, I, I heard on Pete's show or something that, that, you live in Lockhart. I would like to invite you to the St. Andrew's Orthodox Church in Lockhart. Same church you were staring at. Yeah, this church I was staring at. And this guy was one of the Hoppian types. Um, I know your listeners understand that 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 reference. On Twitter, it was a Hoppa guy. And I'm like, what? You know, this <laughs> random Hoppa guy reaching out to me on Twitter. I said, that's weird. Yeah, I've been driving by it all the time. And, and uh, Vin Armani told me to read Seraphim Rose, and I'm doing that as well. And the guy responds with, well, Seraphim Rose is, is my family's patron saint. And mm-hmm. he says, he's also, his icon's on the wall at that church, which is not totally common because Father Seraphim Rose isn't technically a saint uh, yet. He is to me. And so, uh, he's on the wall there. And he says, it's no coincidence that you're reading Seraphim Rose in Lockhart, Texas, with that church five minutes from your house. And then uh, one of the members of the church hears that you live there and invites you. He goes, you got to come in. And so I did. I also wrote Vin. I said, man, this is a, what a coincidence. And I explained that story to him. And he's like, this is not a coincidence. This is God calling you in. So we started going there. And I should also tell the audience, I'm not technically an Orthodox Christian. I'm a catechumen in the Orthodox church, which means you are on the road to being baptized as an Orthodox Christian. And so my wife is as well. So, we will be technically Orthodox Christians by this time next year. So, that's kind of where the, uh, that story has led me. All right, gang. Well, Buck and I share a lot of things in common, and uh, one of those things is a mutual sponsor of ours. That is our pal, Carlos, and his wife, Vanessa. Carlos and Vanessa Abelar, who own the wonderful Paloma Verde CBD, just the finest CBD products you will ever get directly shipped to your home for free as well. Because if you use our discount code ROAR at checkout, you will get 20% off your order and free shipping for all orders over $75. So if you're enjoying this conversation, boy, you should really support a guy who's been sponsoring both of us for quite a while now, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar. Check them out at PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Don't forget to use discount code ROAR at checkout. How did the path go from, I've been brought into this church, I see the signs, maybe I got some chills on my spine with some of this stuff. And like, how did, how has actually being involved in the Orthodox Church changed your view of Christianity, of spirituality? I mean, what are the, maybe some of the, maybe even some of the parallels, but also some of the, how, how the contrast with, let's see, for example, the mega church you, you grew up uh, attending and, and seeing the tongues and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So as I, as I speak on this, just for everyone listening, this is my um, story and my interpretation of certain things. And I am not speaking for Orthodox Christians or Orthodox Christianity by any means. This is just a young catechumen in the Orthodox Church who grew up uh, Protestant and evangelical. This is my little um, kind of my lens looking through this. So uh, there was a, uh, there's also an organization called Death to the World, and I would advise people who are curious about this to look into that too. And it was founded by a, a guy named Justin Marler, who I now am friends with, interestingly enough, now lives just 30 minutes away. And actually, he lives in Waco now. But however, he started an organization called Death to the World. Like I mentioned earlier, I come from a subculture punk rock scene. The Death to the World thing was uh, started by Justin, who was in a metal band called Sleep. It's actually very famous now. And he was in the punk rock scene in the Bay Area. He was living with the guys from Green Day in in a warehouse and the guys from Rancid. And he was going through some of the mental issues that that punk rockers go through and, and the spirit of nihilism that Father Seraphim Rose writes about was certainly surrounding him. And one day he met a nun and uh, an Orthodox nun and, and became started looking into the Orthodox Church. So he, he became an Orthodox Christian and he thought, you know what would appeal to a lot of the 
people, the scene that I came from is this punk rock aesthetic. We used to have these things called zines. Maximum Rock and Roll was a zine a long time ago. And it's basically like a do-it-yourself magazine. Everything's on uh, black and white copied print. And and punk rockers would would distribute these zines at, at, at punk shows. And it would have, you know, where you can order tapes. And, and that's how long ago this was. Yeah. And stuff for <laughs> punk bands. And so he said, I want to do this for an orthodox uh, from an orthodox perspective and write about the saints and the church fathers and, and, and the bible and make it look like a punk rock zine so he started doing that and uh it started bringing all of these punk rock kids into orthodox christianity well later justin marler became an uh uh excuse me a uh a, a nun a monk and so he basically went from punk to monk and he became wow. a, and a, a, and a, a hell monk. of a biography title it is it is and uh I, he will be, no one else listening out there is going to get him on your show. I'm, he's going to be on mine at some point. Uh, he and I are talking about this. And so, uh, so anyway, he basically put this organization together that's still running to this day. He's not involved with death to the world anymore. It's a uh, father, uh, John Valadez is, and also no one listening out there, get him on your show. He's going <laughs> to be on mine. Uh, and so the, the, the stuff that they put out is very Orthodox Christian. In, in nature, but the aesthetics have kind of a punk rock look to it. And so I found that very appealing. And a lot of their stuff um, uh, talks about Father Seraphim Rose as well and the spirit of nihilism. Also, that spoke to me. Again, that book, Nihilism, I highly recommend. And so I started looking into Death to the World and th their their perspective matched mine. They come from the subculture scene and Protestantism, and they they felt that Protestantism was flimsy and this again this is not if if for the protestants out there if that's what speaks to you that's what speaks to you this was just for me personally and from a lot of these these guys that were writing in death to the world it felt false and flimsy and and empty and it left kind of a, a longing for something deeper and more real and more raw and that's that's what orthodox christianity was to those guys that's what it is to me and so uh the guys from death to the world i owe a great uh, I owe a lot to because the, their material spoke to me and it made me look further into Orthodox Christianity. And I find it to be much richer, um, much more beautiful. And I think it's telling alone that, like I said, I'm a catechumen. And to, before you get baptized, some people are catechumens for three years. Um, I don't think I will be, but just there's so much tradition and, and history and things. Obviously, there's a lot of history. This is the original church. And so, they they want you to learn uh, about the original Christianity, and it's not just come into this big church and do communion once a month or whatever. And mm -hmm. and the Protestants look at communion as like a, a representative of of the blood uh, of Christ and and the flesh of Christ. And the Orthodox Christians, it's not a representation of the blood and and flesh of Christ. It's re it is that. And that's what you're partaking in. In fact, until you're baptized, you can't partake in it because it can harm your soul because it, you are experiencing the actual flesh and blood of Christ. It's not a representation of it. And I that blows people's minds. Like, And the Western mindset is, well, let me investigate this and break it down under a microscope. That can't be real. Well, that's not, the, we look at this through an Eastern mindset. There's, it's a mystery of the church and it is what it is. Maybe that is a good place to dig in just a little deeper. Cause I think that like saying something like that is, is both like what's appealing about it in some ways. It's like, whoa, that's totally, you don't hear that normally from, from other religion, from, you know, from other aspects of Christianity. At the same time, I think it's something that, people of a more atheist bent might just stop you in your tracks and be like, okay, hold on a second here. What are you talking about? What do you mean? It's the actual blood and body of Christ. But, but, but what does that really mean? I mean, because I, I, I'm trying to wrap my own head around it. I am too. It's a mystery of the church. And okay. I, I don't want to speak uh, out yeah, of, you're, out of yeah. my lane, if that makes sense. Because sure. um, you are in the process of, of trying to understand this yourself. Correct. And I don't want to put any terms upon it that lead people to think that it's something it's not. Um, the, the way I said it is the way I can say it best at this point in my journey. And that's how I, I understand it. It's a mystery of the church. Um, there's a lot of things 
you can look up videos on on Orthodox priests preparing for the Eucharist. It's called the the, the communion is called the Eucharist, and it will explain a lot of these things uh, for anyone out there who's curious on how this comes about and how it works. It's really uh, it's it's a mystery of the church, but it's really beautiful as well. So is it safe to say, I mean, you're, you're, is, is catechumen being basically being like a pledge in a fraternity? Like you're, you're trying to become a part of it, but you're, you you have some things you have to do first, essentially. That's right. Yeah. And you get a sponsor. Um, the, the, the gentleman, the, the lovely, awesome gentleman that reached out to me on Twitter is my sponsor. His wife is my wife's sponsor and they help you along through the, through your catechumen, uh, trial, if you want to call it, or your, you know, your, your learning period. Um, of course, the priest of the church helps you out anytime. I mean, he's amazing. Anytime I have a question, I can always ask him as well. But yeah, you, your sponsors kind of guide you through this process and explain things to you. And there's so much to learn. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, people like you and me, w- when you get into something, you didn't jump into libertarianism and not read the books on it. You just, you know, and so I, I, I find that aspect of it really uh, awesome. And like the original church fathers, these, I mean, if you're, anyone's into philosophy, you know, the church fathers, the, these, the things that they're writing about, it's just brilliant. It's mind blowing. And, and so that aspect of it for me personally is very appealing. Um, someone like my wife, who's busy running two businesses, uh, doesn't have time to sit home and, and nerd out through books like I do. Um, so you don't have to do that. That's not something that's, that's like required. But it's certainly some an aspect that is available, and I find it extremely appealing. Do you have a little bit of like what I, I think a lot of us went through when we first find libertarianism, and we you know read Anatomy of the State or something where you kind of get mind blownism, and you just have to learn everything now because you're because you keep hitting these points of revelation and revelation and revelation, and it's just like now you're you're on this new path now. Yes, a hundred percent. I've thought about that a lot, and the the biggest difference is. That with libertarianism, I had that feeling, and and you want to spread like these people are just wrong. They just don't understand. If they just read this book, they would get it. Mm-hmm. And overall, some things within libertarianism are important and do affect your life. But a lot of the stuff was for those of us who really got into it. The 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 fringe elements of it. You're it's kind of larping, mental masturbation to an extent. But the stuff that you're reading that I'm reading with Orthodox Christianity. It's about the most, the most important thing of all time. And so it's not just that I'm reading it going, this is so amazing. What a neat concept. It's that this is so amazing. And this is how life happens, how things work, how the universe operates, if that makes any sense. And so, yeah, it's like you're learning all these cool things, but it's about the most important thing of all time as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a rich tradition and it's certainly, I'm like a mental midget uh, compared to how many of these other people are that, that really know these things, but it's amazing. I mean, it's book after book just on my, you know, all, you know, for those people. You're, you're doing it. You're doing the, you're reading the Rothbards and the Mises yeah. and you know, it's, it's the same thing. And it's really interesting. And I think, I think, I find it really fascinating that a, a number of people, like I mentioned earlier, that I, I'm I have been drawn to not because they were talking about Orthodox Christianity, um, happen to also be Orthodox Christians. The people that are or, or are like leaning towards that way, and I think it, it a lot of it. I think it just goes back to what you were saying about how you started to see the world differently, and like at some point you stop it stops being funny to joke about people being demonically possessed because at some point you start saying well that actually explains what i see in reality so much better than anything else really because at some point the only thing that that can sort of explain what we're seeing in the world and the ways people react is now i'm I'm not disregarding anybody who you know might be well versed in um psyche mass formation psychosis and this sort of thing and i'm I'm sure there are i don't know a sort of scientific explanations i guess for the ways a lot of people react um but if you're just describing reality and describing as you see it can you really see the would you really know the difference if there was an actual demonic possession or if people were just acting crazy in mass like like we have seen the nar seen them do you know in, in recent years yeah, it's like the whole, they might not be demonically possessed, 
But if they were, it would certainly look a lot like this. You know, you can only, for me, I could only tell myself that so many times before you think there, I, I mean, just over 2020, it just was so apparent that there was evil at work and it's not just someone with a mean attitude or someone with a controlling authoritative nature it's people that were that was evil spirits working through people i have no doubt you wouldn't close a ch- church and leave open a walmart if you're mm-hmm. just trying to protect people it makes no sense and so yeah if there's evil spirits at work you'd have to for me think well there must be good spirits also to counter this. And then when I started looking further down the rabbit hole, it led me to the original church. Fascinating. Well, I, I think we'll leave it there for now. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're learning too, but I just wanted to kind of get a glimpse into, I guess what your own process has been on that end. But I, I think, you know, part of you becoming a part of this church, I mean, I, 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 you and I went to that bar you mentioned, and I certainly noticed it. I mean, you're sort of becoming someone that people know in town. Uh, you're an active member of the church. You're an active member of the community. And as you kind of referenced earlier, there has been talk. <laughs> it's been mentioned uh, on several podcasts and such that, and you've mentioned it to me as well, that you are considering, strongly considering, I think it's safe to say at this point, running for city council there in Lockhart. Um, so maybe you could just speak to what what has driven you to really consider this idea so strongly? I mean, I think you told me off air like you're ninety ten, so you're you're pretty close to to being sure you're going to do it, but you're not officially announcing. But I just want to see what your thought process is um, along those lines, and kind of how how much you see that tied into the connection with the community that you've been building more so since you moved to Lockhart, since you became a member of the church. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to intro it because one of the things in Orthodoxy is is the the embrace of community and and love and and whatnot in my my church throughout 2020 of course i was not a member yet but they were the only church that stayed open uh all of the other churches closed and they didn't just do that they didn't do it at all for bragging rights or to say like look how hardcore we are they did it uh, throughout 2020 or 2021 i can't remember which year we had the freeze the infamous freeze that happened in the state of texas where all of these people lost power uh, they were the only ones open during that. And there was a line down the block. They were feeding people. They were housing people. They were being um, godlike in their community, which is what you're supposed to do. It's what you're called to do. And so uh, the community aspect of of our church is is something that they push. And then the community of Lockhart itself is something, like I mentioned earlier, that you just feel being here. People jokingly call it the heart, you know, Lockhart. And it it feels uh, like a close-knit, warm community. And so, one of the things I've considered is running for city council and how I could help the community. And I wouldn't even approach this by saying, I'm going to be on the city council and I will make Lockhart libertarian. It's nothing like that. It's how I could actually help the community. And if I could have some say in maybe pushing things in a positive direction for for Lockhart, I would love to do that. I would certainly love to keep it um, a loving, feeling, a happy community and not um, the evil political hellhole that Austin is now at this point. I would prefer Lockhart to take a different route. And if I can help navigate the route, navigate the way we we do things in this city, I, I think I'd like to do that. Certainly running for city council is a bit of an undertaking. So I'm I'm looking at the details behind what you have to do, what everything entails, the meetings, et cetera, who I would be running against, how that's going to work, the logistics behind all of this stuff. That's not my strong suit by any means. And so uh, I might need some people to help me out there. So that's the kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with this at this point. And I certainly sounds, you know, when you, uh, the mayor the other night, I went to see a local band uh, at the local bar I go to, the mayor introduced them on stage. And it was just, it's that kind of feeling here, and I really like that. And again, I don't know the mayor's politics. Don't know. He's an old, old Southern white guy. Maybe that means he's a conservative, but maybe he's not, he's introducing a band covered with tattoos. Maybe right. not. I don't know. But I, I I find that appealing. And so if we can kind of keep this city feeling like a happy community, free of outside uh, hateful, evil politics, if I can help at all, 
uh, I'd be up for it. I think. What What does a city councilman actually do? Because I, I, I really have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> so they certainly attend monthly meetings, which aren't the most. It's not the most fun thing. They they deal with some of the tedious uh, tasks that you most people don't really get want to get involved with, and it's basically you know city business. Uh, there's a beautification. They're they're working on making the square this this beautification program they've got going. So approving certain aspects of well, we want this road here, we want this parking lot here, that kind of thing. A lot of it's boring stuff like that. But, but shouldn't private shouldn't private companies be doing all that? Well, they're not. That's the problem. And so uh, until that happens, I would rather not talk about Ankapistan, but I'd rather work in the system that we have as it is. And try to do the best I can to make things clean, happy, peaceful, and 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 a loving community, if, if if at all possible. And to keep the hate out, you know, certainly if masks were to ever be a thing again, I would make sure that if I were on city council, that I would do everything I could to fight anything like that, of course, or shutdowns, whatnot. But you know, who knows where we're at in in that world? I'm kind of curious too, like. I- when it comes to this sort of conversation, like I, I jokingly said, shouldn't the private companies do that? But I, I, you know, the the kind of pushback I, I thought I would probably ask you more about is the pushback you would get from you know people in the music industry and and you know how they've seen your progression over the last couple of years and how your podcast, um, but has has kind of changed and their view of you, if at all. But I, I guess what might be more interesting is is like the reaction that you get from the more libertarian types or the anarchist types um, Hmm. when they say, find out that you are a fireman. So therefore you work for the state. So, or that you have these plans to run for city council. Does that rub any of your, your like more libertarian groups the wrong way at all? Is this something you have to defend yourself against? It's interesting. If it does, I've not been told that. Um, They haven't said it to me. In fact, when I first started the podcast, I wouldn't say anything like that to you. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I remember telling uh, someone that I interviewed who was working for Tom Woods at the time. uh, I told him, you know, I don't tell anyone that I'm a firefighter because I Hmm. I'm afraid that they're not going to like me because that's not pure libertarian. And he said, dude, we have much bigger battles to fight than (laughs) the fire department being part of the government. And most of the time people have found that out that I work for the fire department that are libertarian. They always say, well, if, I mean, in a NCAP society, we would have a fire department, you know, we would just pay for it in a a different way. So it makes sense. And Rothbard always said, if if you're going to work for the state, um, if it's something that would be, uh, existing without the state that it's it's valid and mm. and i mean the bigger picture is i don't if someone said um, it's not a valid job i don't really care that they think that that's fine but yeah and, and the city council thing no one said anything negative yet in fact i think i've had positive reaction dave uh, smith jokingly uh, said that he would he would write he would do a, a mail-in ballot for me he would vote yes <laughs> <laughs> vote for me for city council by mail-in ballot because that's apparently uh, all good with everyone now. Yeah, he can just he can just have his address at your house in Lockhart, you know. Yeah, and there you go. Be your roommate. So yeah, people have been nothing but supportive and nothing but saying you should do it, you should do it, you should do it. Uh, so far, I've not run into any any uh, negative reactions from libertarians. And, and to what you referenced earlier, the the people in my past music scene, they do think negative things. I, I know that for a fact about my politics, and you know, I do hear uh whispers here and there from from other people it's all of the names and and derogatory name calling that you we all get from uh people on the left it's that stuff what about within the fire department yourself i i imagine like at least a number of your co-workers must at least be aware that you that you have this podcast and that you have a sort of a, a political thing going on has that is is politics something uh you end up talking at all um at at the firehouse or is that something you guys kind of just keep to the side. I tried to avoid it at work because I, I'm an off, I'm a boss at, at work. I'm an officer. And uh, so these, some of the people work for me and I don't want to come across like, well, I'm the boss and here's my politics. And if you disagree with me, you're a bad employee under me kind of thing. Not that they would think that, but I try to lead by example at work and, and make the work environment fun. And we do training and working out. And so I try not to bring my politics into the job. They all know the podcast. Some of them listen here and there. Uh, and some of them will have questions. It's nice. You know, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? 
And if it's, I'm at the point in my life now where if someone disagrees with me, and you libertarians out there try to reach this point, it's some, <laughs> it's healthy, I promise. But if someone disagrees with me, I don't have to shove my ideas down their throat and you know bash. I don't them. have to hand them human action immediately. Correct, <laughs> and it's okay if they disagree with me. We all see things differently, and I'm totally okay with that. It doesn't mean this person's an idiot or that I'm more well-read than them. It's just that we have a different perspective on on life. And if if they trust CNN and the, and the New York Times to to give them their information, it's fine with me. It's sort of a, you might say, sort of a, a Christian way to look at things, I guess. Um, a, a turn the other cheek kind of thing. That's right. I have found that as well in my own life. As I've certainly become more radicalized politically, I, I think it's pretty safe to say it's interesting because at the same time, I, I think I'm personally becoming less radicalized in how I interact with other people when even when politics comes up. Um, but my own politics are actually like way far from probably, you know, where they might have been you know, before all this COVID stuff, you might say. Yeah, certainly. I, I think my own politics and, 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 and religious views are probably much more radical than the average person on the street, but I'm, I'm okay with that now. And unless they're coming at me with some type of hate or evil, again, the, the forced, uh, it, you know, if they're for forcing me to do things that I certainly don't believe are kosher to do that, I would have a problem with that. And we can discuss that. But in general, if someone says, well, you know, I, I got the jab because I just thought it'd be, it's just best for me. Okay. Fine, you know, don't make me get it. But if that's your reasoning, more power to you. Indeed. Well, I think we will uh, we'll wrap wrap up there, Buck. But uh, why don't you just let everybody know what's going on with Counterflow? What do you got coming up? What's been going on with uh, everything with the podcast? And of course, everyone's got to keep those ears tuned, keep their eyes peeled to see if you do make that city council announcement soon. They do, yeah. Keep the keep your ears and eyes peeled. So what's going on with the counterflow? I believe, Mark, if this episode that we're recording right now is dropping next Monday. It will. All right, everyone. When you listen to this, tomorrow my episode drops with Pete Quinones. So uh, stay tuned for that one. It's going to be a good one. Pete's been going uh, headed into an interesting direction as well. We're going to discuss some of his changes and what he's seen and learned over the last couple of years. And uh, with Counterflow, that's that's the newest thing we got. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube page. Go to YouTube, search Counterflow with Buck Johnson. You go to counterflowpodcast.com, and you all know how to find podcasts. Have you gotten YouTube strikes on any of your shows? No, one. Only one. And it was with Jeremy Hammond, hmm. and we were discussing the coup and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I can't even remember what he said. Uh, but some strike oh, on probably it. better you don't because then it'll get, it'll get yeah, this one. Strike. I won't say it. I won't say it. <laughs> and uh, recently, I got a a weird copyright infringement thing from one of my ad the ads I put out the music on it, and so I had to change the music. It was a weird thing. It said we're not going to strike this or take it down, but the person who owns the copyright is monitoring it. Oh, yeah, we get those whenever Brian does like a music parody on a show and, and uses like, you know, an original music track. It, we get we get the same thing, but it, it doesn't actually it's not a strike. They it, yeah, it's weird. They just tell you and then they're like, you could not change it if you want. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 a weird one. It creeped me out. So I I sent a new music background to my producer for this next uh, episode. Yeah, it's strange. And I thought I mean, it happened within minutes of it dropping on YouTube. They must have some algorithm that searches their I, I don't know how they do that. It's beyond me, but uh, it's a mystery like the Eucharist. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. Buck, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been uh, great talking about uh, all the, I guess, uh, I know we didn't want to use the term, but the journey <laughs> that, that you've been yeah. on uh, these last couple of years. Thanks, Mark. And uh, I, I'm always inspired by your journey as well. And I'm always happy to talk to you. Well, thank you. We shall do so again. Keep up the great work, man. Keep on roaring. All right. <laughs> All right, gang, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Buck Johnson, someone who, like myself, has undergone sort of uh, quite a bit of a transformation, a journey, if you will, over the last couple of years, both in how his uh, political philosophy and spirituality have evolved since then. So I was glad I could have Buck on to talk about that. Don't forget to support our mutual sponsor, 
Paloma Verde CBD. Use discount code ROAR to get 20% off that order. Don't forget to subscribe to the entire Lions of Liberty Network for quite a variety of shows that you find here. You got me every Monday. You got Brian McWilliams with Mean Age Daydream on Wednesdays. John Odermatt with Finding Freedom every single Thursday. You can get them all on the Lions of Liberty Network feed. You can subscribe individually to our shows. Uh, Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare, how you can find just this particular feed. I also, in that feed, posted my conversation with Tyler Yankee of Libertarian Podcast Review that I had last week. Uh, it was his response to my response to my, yeah, whatever. It was a response to a response to a response to a response. Uh, but I'll let you guys go ahead and check that out. If you're listening in the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire feed, it should be the last podcast sitting in there waiting for you. And while you're there, a five-star rating and a fantastic review would do wonders. Of course, check out, I've been getting a lot of new Substack subscribers, even though I have not written in over a month now. Uh, so I do plan to get back to that. But if you want to be ready, if you want to be there waiting by the phone or waiting by your email inbox, I guess you should say, uh, check out my Substack, markclair.substack.com. That is all I've got, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time. Live long and live free and live free and live free and live free.